Welcome to That Season Air podcast. I'm your host Gina. Stick with me as I chat to Season Air's expats and adventurers across the world sharing their inspiring stories and interesting insights into living and working abroad. We're back and on the first episode of season two, I catch up with one half of the brother-sister duo behind the thug rug, Brethren Apparel's very own Ashlyn Kite. Recorded back in November, Ashlyn talks us through her experiences from her days as a fashion student in Bristol, right the way through to running a snowboard wear business in the Alps, sharing her tips and advice along the way. I don't think I can pick one particular moment, but I've never like publicly shit myself, so I guess that's <laughs> I guess that's- I guess that's a win. (laughs) As always, this episode is full of funny stories, helpful insight and lots of laughter as Ashlyn shares the highs, lows and hiccups of Brethren's journey and we hear how Ashlyn went from hating ski holidays to full-time mountain life. If you enjoy the podcast and want to show your support for the show, you are now able to buy me a coffee via the link in the show notes. And without further ado, here's the show. Ashlyn Kite, welcome to the show. Hi Gina, how, how are you? Doing? I'm good, how are you? Yeah, good, thanks. Thanks for having me. Thank you for coming. Finally got you here. I took a little bit of persuading. You did, you did. <laughs> but yes, glad you're here. Just to get us started, tell us a little bit about yourself. Where are you from in the UK? Um, I grew up in Guildford, which uh, for anyone who doesn't know, is like halfway between London and the coast. Uh, in theory, it means you could go easily to both, but you tend to not. <laughs> so, <laughs> so I was, I was in Guildford until I was like 18 and then I went to university in Bristol oh nice but not at the University of Bristol at the University of the West of England it's quite important oh nice <laughs> all right cool well we'll get on to your education and stuff later what you've been up to what sparked the idea for you to live and work abroad it's actually quite an easy question for me because um I can't say it was actually my idea at all um <laughs> if you'd asked me when I was like 12 years old, or if you told me that I was going to choose to live and work in the mountains, I would have laughed in your face. Because, uh, yeah, my, our parents used to take us on, uh, we we're very lucky, and we got taken on a few skiing holidays when we were children. But I absolutely hated it. <laughs> and uh, my my mum would come in and say, oh, we're going on a skiing holiday. And I would cry and ask to stay at home with my grandma. <laughs> So I actually, um, I really hated ski school, uh, being in the snake and people crashing into you mm-hmm. and not being able to talk to anyone. Anyone who knows me knows that I really love to talk to everyone <laughs> all the time. <laughs> so it was, a, it was a big issue for me. And then the final year, I said to my mum, I'll come with you on holiday one more time and then I'm not going anymore. It's an asshole. <laughs> um, my brother had been snowboarding for a year or two before that, and I decided to try. And then I really liked it. I was really lucky. I had two amazing coaches for one week, mm-hmm. and um, and they made me like it. So that was kind of the start of me liking the snow. And then I kind of forgot about it for like five or six years or so. And then uh, my brother started doing uh, snowboard seasons. He went to Canada when he was 18. And uh, I went to university because I had this mindset that if I stopped formal education, then I would never, ever go back. So I didn't take a gap year. I went straight through and mm-hmm. I was correct. I would never have gone back. <laughs> <laughs> so um, what was it that you did at university? I studied fashion. 
Okay. I had the idea that I was going to be uh, like a big catwalk fancy pants designer. <laughs> and uh, clearly I'm not. So <laughs> <laughs> It must have played some part in what you do now. So tell the listeners what you do now. Uh, yeah. So um, after seeing my brother go off and do snowboard seasons for like many years, I was like, oh, it looks so fun. I, I want to do that. So um, I just straight up copied him. <laughs> and yeah, just went, I'm going to do that as soon as I leave university. But I was quite lucky in that um, my current career started to take its shape while I was still at university. And my brother and I actually started a company selling snowboarding clothing. How did you get on in uni? Did you end up finishing? And yes, and doing I did. Everything? Got a first class degree. Hmm. People don't know this about me. A lot of people who meet me now are like, really? <laughs> <laughs> you studied fashion? Ah. And then they're like, oh, I guess it kind of makes sense. But yeah, I was quite lucky. So we started making, like building the idea for the business while I was in my final year of uni. So I kind of was already started on what I wanted to do Mm -hmm. before I even got out the door, which was quite nice. Oh, brilliant. Were you hand making them then? So yeah, for the first year of the business, I made (laughs) everything. Oh my God. And that was my final year of university. So just to add extra stress to myself, I am, everyone else would kind of go home at four o'clock and I would sit and stay and sew until they kicked me out and then I would go home and sew at home and uh Chris would uh cut out the fabric at our parents house I feel quite bad now because he, when he had this idea for these products that he wanted to make and then we started designing them and started making them and he said oh like we should try and do this as like a proper business and I said okay well we can do that but I'm in my final year of university I've got so much other stuff to do I'm going to need help to do it. So if you want to do this, then you can't go away on a winter season this year. If we're doing this, you can't go. <laughs> and then after I started doing seasons, I kind of realized like, oh, that was probably quite difficult for him. <laughs> <laughs> so he stayed at our parents' house and was like cutting out all the fabric and posting it to me in Bristol. And I was sewing it together. And then some of it he'd come and collect and some of it we'd post out from all over the place. That's amazing. To get to people. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and um, did you study much to do with business itself or was it mainly the zero oh really <laughs> it was uh, it was actually quite funny for the first few years sometimes even now um <laughs> how we, did you manage to navigate that well this is it we had we had no idea what we were doing this even now sometimes we don't know what we're doing <laughs> and uh we kind of had this attitude the whole time that we were just gonna wing it and we were just going to go for it and pretended that we knew what we were doing and like kind of see how long we could get away with that for. And after three or four years, we kind of realized that actually maybe we did know what we were doing now. And we realized that everyone else was just doing the exact same thing. Yeah. That no one really knew what they were doing, but they were all just like, you know, going for it until yeah. it worked out. So the name of your company is? Uh, it's called Brethren Apparel. Mm-hmm. And um, our original product that we started with that maybe would be the most well-known one, is the Thug Rug. Rug. Yeah, see, I'd heard of the Thug Rug before I'd ever met you. So, yeah, I'm, kind of a big deal Yeah, well, <laughs> in the snowboarding world anyway. Oh, I don't know about that. But uh, yeah, I see lots of people with our stuff, which is, is amazing. It's really nice. Yeah, how does that feel when you see people with your clothing on? It must be pretty yeah, weird. Yeah, it's actually, it's so good. I've got like, I've got a few funny stories about that actually, because um, well, we obviously go to so many places now where, and our stuff, we're really lucky. It is like quite spread all around the Alps. When I was living in Maribel, a guy actually came up to me in the bar and I was wearing um, I was wearing one of our hoodies and uh, this guy kind of like 
jumped over next to me and like, unzipped his coat and like flashed his jacket and it was uh he had the same hoodie as me on and he was like Wee, brethren brethren whoop like but he didn't he didn't know who I was <laughs> and then uh I was with a friend at the time and uh I don't you know normally when people say anything like that I, I try and be cool and I you know it's like yeah cool brethren whoop. but uh, he um my friend was like are you, are you not gonna tell him and I was like no <laughs> and then the guy went tell me what tell me what and then he kind of looked at me again and looked at me properly and he went, oh, oh my God, you're, you're one of them, aren't you? <laughs> I was like, what do you mean? And he said, you're, you're one of the brother and sister who, who make this stuff. And I was like, yeah, it's me. And he was like, oh my God, it's so good to meet you. I've got so much of your stuff. And um, yeah, when stuff like that happens, it's, it's pretty cool. That is cool, <laughs> yeah. Um, so what is it like working with your brother? It's actually great, but like great in the way that it's not always great. But even when it's not great, it's still completely fine, mm-hmm. which maybe sounds a bit strange. Uh, but it means that, you know, we can really fight if we want to. Or not not really bad, but, you know, most of the time it's me. I can have a strop and he'll tell me to fuck off. <laughs> and then come back in 10 minutes later and he'll be like, do you want to go out for lunch? And I'm like, yeah. So, <laughs> so, <laughs> That's a nice way to work, I guess. <laughs> yeah, it does. Um, It is more often me who's having the tantrums but not like not shouting more like sulking so maybe you have to ask chris what it's yeah. like to work with me yeah we'll have to get him on we'll have to get the other side of yeah the, of the brethren yeah, apparel <laughs> but um actually one thing that is is really good is that um we both have quite different strengths mm-hmm. and uh even though we do everything together like you know there's not really any part of the business that either one of us like can't do and we're both involved in everything there's definitely things that like I do because I'm better at them or that he does because he's better at them. It's, it's quite smooth and even. Yeah, nice balance. Yeah, I think awesome. so. Most of the time. <laughs> Again, we'll see what he has yeah. to say about it. <laughs> He'll come in and be like, that dickhead. Oh. <laughs> so when and where did you do your first ski season? So my first ski season was in Morzine. And that was because Chris had been there uh, for several years and he wanted to go back there. And my idea was just to finally escape from uni and just to go straight away on a ski season and just run away. So, uh, yeah, that's where we went. I think it was like 2014, but I'm I'm always really impressed by people who can like pull out the numbers of when they did things because I'm like, I don't know, man. (laughs) It was a while ago. (laughs) People are like, when did you do your first season? I'm like, in the last 10 years. Sometime. <laughs> uh, yeah, so that was Morzine, like seven or eight years ago. Mm-hmm. Something like this, yeah. You were already doing the Brethren. Yeah, we'd already started then and um, we didn't have a warehouse yet. So we actually made all of the stock before we left. No, actually, no, it didn't. We were supposed to have all the stock. Something was late. Can't remember. Something went wrong. Happens all the time. <laughs> we ended up having all of our stock in plastic boxes in our like shared chalet with 10 other seasonal people. Oh, really? Yeah. And it was all just stacked all around the house. And we just kind of turned up with a full van of stock, like, <laughs> we live in too, sorry. And then uh, we posted out from France and like had to go to the post office every few days. And so much stuff got lost. The French system was a pass. Not so good. <laughs> <laughs> Don't want to get Gina in trouble. No, it's fine. <laughs> so how was your snowboarding level at this point? Poor. Oh, really? <laughs> yeah. yeah. So after that, um, the one week holiday when I was a kid, I went on 
another like four or five days holiday with a friend when I was like 18. And uh, my auntie had actually just moved to a chalet in the mountains and she made an offhand comment one summer saying, you should come and visit. And I said, okay, I will. <laughs> and so I did. And uh, me and my friend went out and I just remembered that I knew how to snowboard. So uh, we didn't book any lessons or anything. I just said, like, come on, Megan, let's go. So we turned up on the first day, put all our stuff on, stood at the top of the slope and went, oh, this is really hard. <laughs> so <laughs> don't we, remember how to do this. Don't remember how to do this at all. So we spent a few days falling over and then my cousin gave us some lessons and we managed to get about. But that was my only snowboarding experience. So mm. I also missed the entirety of like the snow sports clubs at universities that a lot of people probably even listening to this are involved in mm. um just because i didn't even really realize it was a thing until my third year and then i was like oh uh, i think i missed the boat on that one <laughs> so <laughs> so i didn't do the the crazy uni ski trip thing mm -hmm. but then yeah moved to france just bought all my stuff and off i went Chris taught me and I lived with 10 people so made friends with people who were happy to hang out with me even nice. though I was garbage thanks <laughs> <laughs> and um yeah went from there and how long were you in Morzine for so I did two winter seasons in Morzine I did one and then I left for the summer and then I came back and did a second one the second year that I was there Chris had actually left and he spent the year traveling around in his van mostly to go from store to store and try and get them to take our goods to Europe. Right. So he, he wanted to do a season in his van anyway to go to loads of different resorts. And while he was in each resort, he went and tried to sell stuff. So that's why like, we got a lot of our retailers. Thanks, Chris. <laughs> <laughs> and then um, while he was on that tour of everywhere, he actually came to Meierhofen and oh, really? Innsbruck. Yeah. And he rang me one day and he said, Ashlyn, I think we should move to Austria. <laughs> and I said, okay. And he said, what? Just like that. He was like, I had a whole speech prepared about why it was so good and why we should come here. <laughs> and I was like, no, I mean, I could try somewhere new. So that was that. So <laughs> <laughs> yeah, he, he practiced a, you know, a load of things of why we should move. Yeah. And I just said, okay. <laughs> and, I do. Uh, and then that's what we did. Yeah. So where did you move to? So after that, we moved to Innsbruck. We heard that the easiest way to find an apartment, because there's not so much online, um, the easiest way was to be here. And you had to come here like reasonably early season-wise to get an apartment before all the students came. Right. Because Innsbruck is a big university city. So people come in from all over the place. So based on that advice, we actually managed to rope in one of our other friends to come live with us as well. So we paid for Chris to get on a flight and turn up here and go and look at apartments for two days. And we just trusted him to pick one for us. <laughs> and uh, so, yeah, he was he was lucky that he'd been here and he'd met a few people. He found an apartment. It was actually really nice. It was, well, <laughs> anyone who knows me would say it wasn't really nice, but it was nice for us. <laughs> uh, it was like 15 minutes out of town on the bus. Yeah, anyone who knows Innsbruck would say, oh my God, that's miles away. But, um, we, you know, we just come from England where you normally travel like an hour across London to see your friends for like dinner and then an hour home. So for us, 15 minutes on the bus was great. Yeah. But, um, normally in Innsbruck, you can walk kind of anywhere in the city center in like 10 minutes. So 
it was it was like an hour's walk away <laughs> so how was the experience in innsbruck it was a lot of fun yeah. maybe it wasn't top quality housing but good times were had there yeah so probably a bit cheaper than france yeah definitely i think um on my first season i actually shared a room with chris and his girlfriend which makes for interesting living um <laughs> and uh we had to pay 500 euros each per month for three of us to live in one room Oh, right. Which I don't think is uncommon in France. I think you can often pay like £500 a month to share a room. Yeah, it's pretty pricey out there. Yeah. How long were you in Innsbruck for in the end? So I stayed in Innsbruck for a year and a half. And that was the first time that I went like all the way through and wasn't really doing seasons anymore. I just I just lived there. We packed up a van with our whole life and drove there and then didn't really leave again until we fully left. Um, so that was the first time I stayed for summer. and. I fell in love with the summer in the mountains. Yeah? Yeah. So I've suddenly fully understood why people said, like, I don't know if you've heard this before, that uh, people come to the mountains because of the winters, but, like, they stay forever because of the summers. And as soon as I'd done the summer, I was like, mm -hmm. oh, okay, I get it. This is, <laughs> you know, this is what it's all about yeah. well, for me anyway. So you were there for a year and a half. Why did you decide to move on from Innsbruck? I'd had, like, a really an amazing time there. But a few of my close friends who I'd kind of spent a lot of time with there were starting to move on and go other places themselves. And I'm not really someone who likes to be left behind somewhere. So I was like, oh, if you're leaving, I'm leaving too. And um, also, like, I struggled a little bit with the speaking German. I found it a little bit difficult just not being able to talk to everyone I wanted to, like at the bar. Uh, normally the way I make friends is if I hear people having a conversation next to me, I just turn around and stick my two pence in and <laughs> start talking to them about what they're talking about. So to not be able to do that, I found a little bit frustrating. I also, like everywhere I'd been so far, I'd walked into this like ready-made friends and ready-made life because Chris had been there and I was Chris's little sister mm -hmm. and I wanted to go and I wanted to go somewhere where no one knew me at all and I wanted to be able to speak English. So not forever, but just for a little while. So I decided I was going to go and try and go to Breckenridge in Colorado. Oh, right. First, I decided I wanted to go and drive down the coast of France, Spain and Portugal in my van because mm -hmm. it's something I'd always wanted to do. So I went and did that for a summer. And then when it came to the next winter, I was going to go and do something new and different. And I actually managed to find an apartment in Breckenridge with four Spanish girls. Um, which is really, really hard to do. I think they have a really bad housing crisis. They have like 300,000 properties on Airbnb and nowhere to put their locals. Oh, wow. So I'd like put messages out on the boards and was trying to find somewhere to live. And then, yeah, one day these four Spanish girls rang me and I was actually, I was a bit drunk. I was out in town and it was like two o'clock in the morning and these girls rang me and they were like, hey, um, you want to come live with us? And I was, I was so happy. I was like crying on the phone. I was like, yeah that's exactly what I want I can't believe you just called me this is amazing I didn't have to do anything and it just fell into my lap so I was stoked I was gonna go on my adventure with my four new Spanish best friends oh, wow. <laughs> and then because of like the brethren work well most people when they when they go to America to do seasons um they go on like an Esther so they go for three months and then they leave for like a week and then they get another Esther which you're allowed to do And then they go back and like finish their time, but you can't work while you're doing this. And because of the brethren work, 
there was some, I thought maybe I could try and start visiting some stores and like go to some trade shows, see if we could like start setting stuff up over there. So um, rather than just doing the usual technique, I tried to apply for the B1 visa, which is like a working holiday visa. It lasts for like 10 years and you can go for six months of every year, but only oh, six yeah. months. Um, but you can work while you're there. And so I, I looked at all the criteria and went through. I thought I had everything. You had to prove that you had like reasonable ties to England. That meant you would come back when you said you were going to, these kind of things. And I thought I met all the criteria. I was like, oh, great, cool. I'm just going to go and get one of these. Then my visa was rejected and I was, uh, oh, no. yeah, I was accused of, uh, trying to work illegally. Um, and they basically have loads of things that you have to do. Uh, and they have like this big checklist of all the stuff and I went in for my interview with the guy. And I think they're normally like 20 minutes. I think mine was about two. Oh, really? <laughs> and, um, you have to take all this evidence, like that you have enough money to survive for like the amount of time that you're going to be there. You have to prove you have ties to England you know, I had all these like big fancy events that I'd paid to come and work at the mm-hmm. next summer with the brethren stuff. So I thought I had like everything I needed. And I said, uh, he said, I think you're going to work illegally because of this, this and this. And I said, no, I'm not. I don't need to. Um, I like, had all this money in my bank account. And he basically said, I don't think that money's yours. I think you've borrowed it from someone for the interview. And I said, oh, I've got all this evidence that you have. I had like an inch of paperwork saying uh, I have all of these reasons yeah. why I meet the criteria and I said to him I said can I show you and he said no and that was oh that. wow and then he gave me a stamp and off I went I only found out afterwards that I'd only looked up what you needed to get into the country I didn't look up what happens if you fail the interview so then I was like banned from America for between two and four years I'm not really sure if I'm allowed in there now oh, really? <laughs> I haven't tried yet yeah oh, wow. um, but um I think I would be able to get in now. But yeah, basically I found out afterwards that it was kind of Trump's new America. And if you were under 30 and capable of working, um, then they didn't believe you that you wouldn't. Like I think something about the visa, I could do certain work, but not other work. So I could go to the trade shows, but not have like a normal job or something like this. I can't really remember. But yeah, so my dreams, my Colorado dreams were shattered very swiftly. (laughs) Oh no. Yeah. Chris actually was applying for the visa as well. Mm-hmm. And he's cancelled it straight away. So, and then we found out afterwards there was loads of crazy stuff going on with people who've lived there for 10 years, like who have houses and families having their visas revoked and stuff like this. So we oh were like, goodness. okay, it's actually not that surprising that it didn't yeah. go well. It wasn't maybe personal to me, but um, it is what happened. So, yeah. Oh, no. Yeah. But yeah, so then after that, I kind of, I did nothing. I sat on my parents' sofa for a month and just sulked. <laughs> and just like had a strop basically oh, no. and uh and chris was like making his own plans he was decided he was going to move to Meyerhofen, and i was like oh I'd, I'd made this big deal that i was leaving austria i was going to go and do something on my own so then i didn't i didn't want to just come back straight away it's like my tail between my legs like oh i'm back <laughs> <laughs> uh, so um <clears throat> we were actually working at a trade show in london and uh there was some friends there and they said oh we're going to maribel for the season oh. and i said that sounds fun. I'm going to do that. Excellent. <laughs> and literally there and then I just decided I was going to go back to France and go to Maribel for a season where I didn't know anyone apart from these like two friends. And then that week I looked up accommodation 
uh, found one of these kind of like rented beds for the year in these big shared houses, mm-hmm. um, which I actually really like. Everyone thinks I'm crazy um, because I would yeah. I would choose to live with 10 people <laughs> rather than two. And I love it. That would be my nightmare. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I say to people all the time, like the more people I could put in my house, the better. <laughs> I love it. <laughs> That's good. So you managed to find somewhere relatively easy. Were you based actually in Maribel? Because I did my first season actually in Maribel, uh, but I was based in Breedlaban. So oh, a little bit out of that's, Maribel. <laughs> that's like for anyone who doesn't know, that's like a twenty-minute um, gondola gondola ride. down the valley. <laughs> yeah, it wasn't. Uh, luckily, we had a car, so and that good. gondola stops at four p.m. <laughs> it does. There's what there at the time there was one bus per week that came home Eight at midnight. <laughs> like a wednesday bus that came home at midnight <laughs> um so i didn't live that far down but i did live in laserloo ah, okay. which is like halfway down yeah. so it was like a 10 minute bus yeah you can see it like when this. you go over the, the gondola from breed yeah yeah <laughs> um but we were quite lucky because i've lived in a house with like 10 people so we could stay up in the town whenever we wanted because normally there'd be a few people there and then i think the bus ran until eight or ten yeah something like that was yeah yeah it was like once an hour until 10 o'clock or something and then if you wanted to stay out later you had to get a taxi but yeah. because there was normally four or five people around like from the house it's manageable it, they had big taxis i think it was like 30 euros so it was expensive but mm-hmm. when there's a few of you it's not so bad yeah if you ever found yourself suddenly on your own and everyone else had dispersed you'd look around and be like oh that's an expensive way home today yeah <laughs> Throughout all these um, different places that you worked, did you have to um, ever take up any other jobs or were you just doing the Brethren stuff at the time? I had a few different jobs. So for the first kind of two years where I was in Morzine, because I'd been going back to England for the summers, mm-hmm. I'd been working and just saving up money before I got there. So I, I did work, but like minimally. So my first year I did changeover cleaning on Saturdays. Right. So that was quite good. I um, just worked one day a week and it was like a full day. I got picked up at like six or seven o'clock in the morning and then I'd get home at like maybe five or six at night, something like this. And yeah, we just went and like check. We were the team of like two or four people when we'd go and change over um, like four or five big chalets in a, in a day. And so I think I got like a hundred euros or 120 euros or something around it. It changed a bit, um, but on a Saturday and because I'd paid my rent up front mm-hmm. because I had to, um, that was just kind of my money for the week. Nice. So I got my money on my Saturday and if I could make that last the week, I obviously had a little bit back up in case I needed it, but for the most part, it was, it was fine. That was what I had. And then the second year, um, I've always done a little bit of childcare on the side of all of my life. I've always like looked after kids. Oh, really? Yeah. I, I find them quite fun to hang out with. I feel like we're quite similar. So kids tend to like me. <laughs> so it can be quite challenging work for some people but for me we just kind of hold hands and run off into the sunset (laughs) we find the same things funny (laughs) um so I applied to work for a childcare company and that one was actually really good as well because you could choose what weeks you wanted to apply to work for the families and you had to be chosen there was enough competition but I worked for quite a wealthy family and so I actually just did two weeks work for the whole season they came out wow. between Christmas and New Year and I was employed like for the whole time that they were there, kind of like from eight o'clock in the morning till six o'clock at night. So I'd have to turn up at eight, take the kids to ski school 
And then I'd kind of have three hours to do whatever I wanted Amazing. while they're at ski school. And then I'd pick them up and we'd go for lunch and go do activities in the afternoon and all these things. But then if the kid was ever sick or something like this, then um, I had to be available. Yeah. Like at any time, that's what they paid me for. So I got about a thousand pounds for the week's work wow. between Christmas and New Year. And then they came back out six weeks later um, for half term. So I just had to, I actually just split up the money, I think into like 120 quid a week or something like this, or 150 quid a week. and had it like in an envelope, yeah. like that was my week's money. And if I spent it like that, then it would last me till the half term. And then the half term money took me up until Easter. How um, did you um, find those jobs? So I think someone else had done, maybe maybe it was Chris who'd done the cleaning job right. um, in previous years. And also because he'd been in the town he knew about these cleaning jobs and that they existed. Yeah. There's there's loads of them. Um, yeah, when you're in a resort, you tend to you get can find them quite to easily. And yeah, get contact. They're normally um, on the Facebook pages uh, for like a town mm-hmm. and stuff like this, and they're yeah, quite easy to find. And they normally need people, and you don't have to be particularly good at the job. You, <laughs> you have to turn up and be willing to work every Saturday, and you know, get stuff done. Yeah, so I did that for the first year, and then the babysitting job. I think because I'd been there for the first year, I'd seen some nannies like working with kids and obviously I met people in the bars and they said, oh, this is what I do. And I thought, oh, I've I've done childcare. Like I've got some experience of looking after little children. So I'll just apply for that next year. Mm -hmm. And that's how I got that. Yeah, we weren't earning any money from Brethren then. So like nothing. I think it was like, yeah, negative 2,000 pounds the first year. (laughs) Something like this. Um, But then... I was lucky by the time I got to Innsbruck because life in Innsbruck was so much cheaper. Um, I didn't actually have to have another job when I was there. And the Brethren money just about supported me if I lived kind of frugally. But then when I went back to France, to Maribel, it wasn't going to be enough to support me. So I found another cleaning job Mm -hmm. and I found some childcare jobs as well. Nice. And Saturday cleaning is great because you get to keep all the food from the chalet. <laughs> so all, all my uh, all my housemates used to love it because uh, we'd I'd come home with like crates of beer every week and like loads of cheese and jam and because people would like fill up their chalets for their holidays and then they'd just leave it all there. <laughs> and we could throw it in the bin. Probably should have thrown it in the bin. But, um, <laughs> <laughs> but we were poor and it was free food and uh, sure why not. <laughs> yeah, waste not, want not. Yeah. After your time in Maribel, where did you head to after that? I think I went to Cornwall. I went. I decided I wanted to learn how to surf huh. properly. Or, well, I say properly, <laughs> slightly better. <laughs> um, so I went back to England. I was still kind of slightly in my English-speaking buzz. So I went back to England and I moved to Cornwall. Went surfing for a summer. And how was that? It was actually, it was really good. I... Didn't know anything about Cornwall around that area. I just knew I wanted to go there. So I went in my van and I decided to just go for two days. And I was just going to drive around all the different towns and kind of have a look and get an idea of what it was like and decide where I wanted to live, go back home, get it sorted and then move. And I went to Newquay first because I went there when I was 16 years old after school like (laughs) with all my friends because it was the only place you were allowed to go. Um, without an adult <laughs> uh, so I went back there 
and I went out drinking for like one night, met this really cool guy who like was like, oh, let's go like crab fishing tomorrow. I'll meet you at like 9am down the docks. We'll get a kayak and we'll go diving for spider crabs. And I was like, okay, this is cool. So like we did that. And then, uh, then uh, I said I was going to go look around other places and stuff. And he was like, why? Where are you going? And I was like, yeah, I don't know. So I ended up just staying there. <laughs> yeah. And, uh, he said like, oh, you're going to find it really hard to find an apartment here if you're not here because every, it's a bit like some of the towns and the mountains, some of the resorts. Um, they put up a listing and 20 people comment on it. So he said, you're never going to find something if you're not here. He was like, just come and stay with me. And I thought, oh, this, this is a bit strange, man. I literally just met him. Maybe he's a little bit crazy. <laughs> um, so I was like, ah, I'll bear it in mind. Thank you. Um, but I decided I went back down and I bought a big tent and I put up a tent in um, one of the big campgrounds for two weeks. Oh, so really? I lived, wow. in, I lived in the campground for two weeks so that I could go and look at apartments. And then, yeah, I found one. But my tent wasn't that good. And there was a massive storm one day. Oh, no. And uh, it kind of all collapsed on me during the night. So in the middle of a massive, like crazy storm, I had to like manage to put the tent down, stuff it all in my van, and then also sleep in the van with all of my possessions. The whole van was full. And I just had this little kind of sausage amount of space down the side of one of the vans. <laughs> and I literally just like wiggled in and then closed the door and was like, that'll do. <laughs> <laughs> and um so then the next day i was like, i really need to find a house <laughs> so I was, i'd been trying to bargain with the campground to let me stay for the whole summer right because i was quite enjoying my like tent life and they were like no <laughs> and i was like oh i'll pay you and they were like no you're not allowed like you're not allowed to live permanently on a campsite it's the rules uh, okay. in Nuki. and i was like can i just pay you cash well <laughs> <laughs> they said no so but i found somewhere to live i found another one of these shared houses okay and rented a room and uh yeah so then yeah went surfing for a summer and then after that so i came back to snow again um my friends from innsbruck who i really love all of you out there <laughs> um they all rang me and they said like okay like you've been off doing your thing for a little while now like when are you coming home like come back <laughs> and um i felt really loved so i was like yeah yeah right yeah. so i came back but <laughs> i didn't want to come back to exactly where i'd been so i moved up to my hoffen which is where I am still currently. Yes. So you've been in Meyerhofen for a while now. Yes, I've been here for two years now. And um, have you had to take up any other jobs while you've been here or have you been concentrating on brethren? Because Chris is here too, your brother. Yes, Chris lives here too. He was here first. I went back to copying him. <laughs> <laughs> he moved here and I thought, again, that looks fun. I'm going to go there. Yeah. <laughs> um, yeah, so by this point, like brethren started doing really quite well. Um, it was like supporting us mostly. So uh, I didn't have any other jobs while I was, oh, that's not true. I lied. I got another cleaning job on Saturdays. <laughs> <laughs> cleaning jobs on Saturdays tend to pay really well. And, uh, there's a lady here in my often who I clean for. He's really lovely. So I was doing that. And then, um, the pandemic hit. Yeah. Tell us about your pandemic experience. Obviously for the business, it was not the best no. <laughs> uh we were quite lucky or maybe it was experience but we made some good decisions right at the beginning um so when it was kind of the first like couple of days and everyone's like oh it's just gonna be a couple of weeks and then it's gonna kind of pass over blah 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 we were very cautious and it's exactly in march kind of time that we place all of our orders for the next october and we said, 
just in case this is not, if this is like longer set than people were thinking it's going to be, let's go into survival mode. We actually, we had a conversation right then, but like, should we just close? Is it going to, you know, is it going to be so savage that we're not going to be able to recover from it and we're mm-hmm. going to end up holding loads of stock and stuff like this? And we decided that no, we, we had some new products that we were quite excited about. We just started venturing into outerwear. So we didn't want to pull the plug just yet because we, we wanted to try out these new things. <laughs> so we decided to go into survival mode. So we ordered like a quarter of the amount of stock that we usually do. And we were like, let's let's order just enough to survive next year. And it was a very good thing that we did because, mm-hmm. you know, normally, well, what could have happened was all of that stock, all of our money could have just sat in warehouses for the whole winter, which is exactly what it did. But it was with a quarter of the amount of stuff. So mm-hmm. we didn't spend all of our cash. It wasn't all gone. So we had some money to get through the year with. And so professionally, if people are not allowed to go snowboarding, they don't really need snowboarding clothes. Yeah. So we um we didn't sell so much. Well, actually, we sold actually all right online. But the, the real kick was uh, all of our stockists throughout Europe. And we'd built up to like maybe about 40 at this point they were not allowed legally to open so they were closed for the whole year Mm -hmm. so they had all of their stock we had some very nice people who um if they'd all returned their stock we'd have been absolutely fucked but they um they said oh we're happy to keep it and sell it next year if you're happy for us to pay for it next year Mm -hmm. because they obviously had no money to pay us either and we said yep that sounds like a plan let's do that for everyone who's willing um we just rolled the stock over which was great we we know pretty much every single one of our stores personally because we we walk in the door and say hello (laughs) (laughs) this is our stuff for this year like um yeah we know most of the people who we work with uh nice which is good probably helped us in this circumstance because they knew that it's just me and chris and you know the buck kind of stops with us so if Mm -hmm. we were if they were like assholes it wasn't like some big company where it's faceless they knew exactly that it was me and chris who were like gonna be in the firing line yeah yeah, we had the stores have all their stock. We sold a few things online, but not like the kind of growth that we would normally have expected with launching outerwear, mm-hmm. um, but enough to survive on. Um, so yeah, the business kept going. But for my personal life in the pandemic year, yeah, um, I'm really sorry to report, but it was actually amazing. <laughs> <laughs> a lot of people get annoyed at me when I talk about this because uh, we were very lucky in Marhofen for the fact that we were the mountain stayed open and we were allowed to go snowboarding Mm -hmm. so the mountain was open basically for locals only because all the borders were closed and so we'd be heading up the mountain and we had like you know we obviously had restrictions you had to be home in your house by like eight o'clock at night every day but you were allowed to go out and do exercise for unlimited period of time so we could go up the mountain for eight hours and you know still Mm -hmm try and keep your distance as much as possible but um you could still hang out with your friends one of the criteria for um going up the mountain is that you had to have a negative test and they were free here in austria so you could have a test every two days and so even if you were like with people on the chairlifts and stuff like that you knew everyone had you know had their tests in the last 24 hours so you probably weren't in too much risk mm-hmm. the whole mountain wasn't open there some things were closed but we had a lot of it yeah, and we were really spoiled. We were, we were, we were very <laughs> lucky, really lucky yeah. to be here at that time. Yeah, yes. But actually, if, when Chris comes in, he'll tell you that we're not lucky. We're here by design. 
Ah, okay. <laughs> so we choose to live here. Like, <laughs> yeah, it's true. It's true. It's true. Yeah. I think we're. I think we're lucky. <laughs> I think we're really lucky. <laughs> they could have closed the mountains, and we'd have all been very, very depressed. Yeah. <laughs> so you got through the pandemic, and how's things going with Brethren now? It's not the best. It's still like, um, we did the same thing and only ordered like a really, really small amount. Um, but it's all kind of hinging on whether people are allowed to travel and if the mountains are open. Yeah. So we have some new things coming out that we're excited about, but we're also in this kind of unknown territory of products that we sold throughout last winter. The stores are now selling this winter. Mm -hmm. And in order to try and catch up with everything and make everything even, we launched a new line this year, which the stores for the most part don't have it's only going to be available online but then next year it will be in the stores but it will be our second year of having it online mm -hmm. so it's all a bit like uncharted territory and we're not really sure how it's going to go mm -hmm. but uh from the minute we kind of started brethren we said we would ride the wave for as long as it lasted and for as long as people wanted to buy our stuff we would keep on making it and as long as we kept liking what we were doing then we'd carry on but um if it ever caused any like tension between me and chris's relationship or if we weren't happy anymore then mm -hmm. you know we'd pull the plug and it's definitely been some dark days this year because actually we we managed to navigate the pandemic like reasonably well given the circumstances mm -hmm. but in that time frame while doing the pandemic dance we kind of forgot about brexit and then um, we got absolutely like smoked in July right. with new regulations and rules and like shipping charges. Oh, so no. I spent, <laughs> I actually spent like three days, like just led on my kitchen floor crying. And um, it looked like, it looked like I was just having a meltdown, but that's actually just how I deal with things. <laughs> oh, and um, no. my poor roommate who I live with was like, are you okay? Like, can I do anything to help you? And I was like, I'm actually fine. Just like with tears rolling down my face all the time. And I'd just be like doing a normal thing, like eating cereal. And then I'd think of something else that I wasn't sure how to fix yet. I just sit there and cry. And um, <laughs> oh, no. it's actually, it's just part of my process. So yeah, like I get you. <laughs> yeah. So I tell people that like, you know, I will also be like, I quit. I hate this. I'm not doing this anymore. It's so hard. Fuck, fuck the world, blah, blah, blah. And, um, it's all just part of my like figuring it out. So like basically cry for two days and then I shake it off and then figure it out and find an answer. Yeah. But anyone who sees me in those two days is like, oh my God, Ashling's not okay. I'm fine. I'm always oh, fine. God. You can always call me. If you're ever not fine, you can always call me. Yeah. So one of my but, friends actually like, didn't really believe me that I just like, that I actually get upset by this stuff because they're like, oh, you're just always fine. You're always fine. Yeah, and I said, I'm not, I'm not fine. So I started taking pictures of myself when I was crying, oh. sending it to people to, to prove that I'm, I'm not oh, made of mate. concrete. Oh. I don't think I've ever seen you cry, to be honest. But, uh. I'll send you the next picture. <laughs> we'll put it on the gram. Like. <laughs> it's true. Chris has seen me go through these phases like so many times where he'll, he'll like just turn up somewhere and I'll just be lying on the floor because that's where I heal. And he'll walk in and I'll be lying on the floor and he'll be like, oh no, one of those days, is it? But it's like, he's seen it so many times now that he's just completely unfazed. So yeah. I'm just like face down on the ground, like ugly crying. And my roommate's like, oh my God, what can we do to help? And Chris is there just eating a sandwich like, nah, she's nothing, she's fine. Like <laughs> <laughs> oh, bless him. Yeah. 
So you've been to quite a lot of different places. Where feels most like home to you? So it's quite funny. I actually call like, I call everywhere home. I think for the most part, home is like where my friends and family are and where I have been. So yeah, it's here, but it's also England. Mm-hmm. Like it's both. So it, it really confuses my grandma. And she, she says to my dad, like, do you not get upset? Like, cause I say like, uh, I'll be at my nan's house and I'll say, I'm going home. And uh, I mean like to Austria. And then she'll say to my dad, does that not upset you that she, oh. she doesn't think of England as home anymore? And my dad's like, well, yeah, this home. This is home home. <laughs> <laughs> so like, I have two. It's great. Yeah. It's very oh, nice. That's nice. Yeah. Awesome. Where would you say was your favorite season? I've got to say my often. There's a reason. Really? Why, yeah. There's a reason why I'm still here. I think like nothing will probably ever compare to like your first season of being like. Yeah. Or like probably quite young, a little bit yahoo like not really giving a fuck, not looking after yourself. Like, Yeah, yeah. Yeah, that. that's what Westy said on his actually. Yeah. Episode 10, Tom West, he, he said like nothing compares to your first season oh, just, because it's so new and it's so like it's just having, amazing. It's just having the best time. I was like yeah. going out drinking like every day. <laughs> I, used, <laughs> I used to go drinking on a Friday night and leave the nightclub to go to the cleaning job. So I would leave at six in the morning. And get straight in the car to go cleaning. Oh my goodness. <laughs> and I, I could not do that anymore. Yeah, I'm like, can you I would, imagine it now? I would die. I would die if I did this now. <laughs> <laughs> I would get to work and I'd go to sleep in the bath. Yeah. But, <laughs> I wouldn't but, even get up but if back that then, happened now. <laughs> but back then, yeah, just had all the power. Probably could do it now. Should mm. we test it? <laughs> I uh, it's up to you, but I cannot test that because I already know the answer for me. It's yes. <laughs> So during your time of living and working abroad, was there any point where you didn't know where to go next? Uh, all the time, especially now. Yeah, and like yeah, I like I really love Meyerhofen, but I don't think it's my forever home. No? Maybe 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 at some point, but there's still so many places that I haven't been and that I haven't seen. But then I also I am like really settled here and I really love it here. I have amazing friends and the idea of going and starting somewhere new. It's like, oh, that sounds like a lot of effort to start from scratch again. Yeah. But then I'm like, oh, but all the places I haven't seen. <laughs> yeah. So I have this constant inner turmoil of, do I stay here mm-hmm. or do I go somewhere different? And I feel like that will never go away. Mm-hmm. I see people who buy houses and become kind of quite settled in one place. And I just can't really picture that in my life. I would love to feel like somewhere is home so much that I don't want to leave. But I'm also always like, oh, all these other new homes I haven't discovered yet. Yeah, yeah, for sure. I, I still really want to go to New Zealand. I've never been to Australia. I don't know if I can now because I'm 29. Some of the visas run out at 30. Hmm. And you're not allowed to travel at the moment. All these countries are only letting in their own citizens. So that's very much now. That means I need to like make some decisions for like the next one or two years. And then I'm also like, oh my God. I need to have babies. I need to buy a house. I need to live by the sea. Oh. <laughs> um, I'm just going to put this out here as a personal. If anyone wants to travel around the world with me, having babies and living by the sea, applications at that season of podcast. <laughs> yeah, head over to the Instagram. Give me a, give it a slide into my DMs. <laughs> slide into Gina's DMs for me. I'll sort you out. Don't worry. Uh, we'll get you hooked up. Anyway, so tell me a little bit about how Brethren first got started. So it's actually quite a cool story because Chris had been snowboarding for a couple of years around the world and um, 
he, I think he came back and he found this like old fleece hood in my parents' like attic. And uh, he was like, whoa, what's this? Like, where did this come from? And they were like, uh, it's yours. Like, is that not yours? And he was like, no, this is mine. But like, it is now. I'll take it. So no one knows where this fleece hood came from that was suddenly mysteriously in our box of ski gear. So he took that away and he wore it for a few years and then it got like tatty and worn out. So he rang me and he asked me if I could make him a new one because he couldn't find one. And I said, yeah, sure. And then we kind of realized that, oh, if, if Chris wants stuff like this, then maybe other people do too. Um, so we decided we'd try and make some. He came back and he came to Bristol to visit me and we spent like a couple of days cutting them out on my bedroom floor and then like <laughs> sneaking him into the uni building to like help me like figure them out. And people who know our thug rugs, they have like a, a cotton outer layer that's all like crazy prints and stuff that you just like loads and loads of different versions. Mm-hmm. One for everyone, find your own. <laughs> and, um, uh, so I said like, oh, uh, you know how people like have their own style, want their own jackets and pants and stuff like this. Um, you know, maybe they'd look cool with that different prints on the outside. And at first Chris was like, oh, I don't know, I don't know about that. I don't know if it'll look good. And I said, um, let me make you like three or four different versions and uh, see what you think. So mm-hmm. he was like, yeah, okay. Uh, so I made like three or four different versions. And then he picked one out of that lineup and he said, this one, this one will sell. Like people will like this one, I think. The shape and the design has not been changed to this day. Wow. From that original, the original thug rug is still the exact same shape and uh, as the very first one that we made on my bedroom floor eight years ago. That's amazing. Yeah. And then because Chris had been snowboarding for like a few years, he had these ideas of these other products that he wanted. So mm-hmm. he would say like, oh, like I want to, he like wanted to have like hoodies with zips and like with tech on them, but still be hoodies. And he had these ideas. And then I would say, oh, like, yeah, we could do that or we could do it like this. Mm-hmm. And like with his kind of ideas and my kind of ability, um, you know, we could put together these really cool products. And yeah. from me doing fashion, we like, you know, we got to kind of skip out some of the harder stage of manufacturing because rather than having to find someone to make our samples, I still make every single sample of the first product myself. So everything wow. that you see has been hand signed by me first before it ever hits any kind of manufacturing floor. So we, we make one, we take it up the mountain, we test it, we like play around with it, make adjustments, and then we get the design how we want it, mm-hmm. and then we send it off to the factories. So we're still very hands-on. Yes, yes. That's so cool. And what's your biggest seller? Um, so our shredder hoodies, they probably like generate the most revenue because they're a higher priced item, but we still sell a lot of thug rugs because they are what we're most known for. Mm-hmm. But we're hoping that um, our new soft shell uh, joggers are going to be like the next big thing. Oh, so yeah. Go and check them out. Let us know what you think. Give us some feedback. Buy some. Buy some. <laughs> <laughs> or don't. It's really fine. <laughs> I noticed with your designs and stuff, you really try to think a bit outside the box and come up with some new stuff. Like you have, uh, is it a jacket that you have where you have the rolling pocket? Yes. Um, that That's is such that a is good available idea. at the moment for those. 420 friendly users <laughs> i've got a jacket for you on my web store but, um, yeah because it like basically shields from the wind when you're up the mountain and, and being active and all the rest of it so yeah we're quite lucky that um everything that we kind of make we product test ourselves so 
the very first hoodies that we ever had, they had like the vents and like zip pockets and stuff like this, but they didn't have the waterproof backing on the back of the hoodie. Mm-hmm. And this was when I was still quite a beginner snowboarder. So like the first year that I was out in the mountains, I had to get the bus. It took like 20 minutes from Moors Inn to get to like Pro Dance, something like that. And when I was on my way home, where I'd been sat in the snow half the day because I was shite and I fell over all the time. Um, <laughs> like I would have like a solid like six inches of snow caked to the back of my hoodie. Mm-hmm. And on the bus on the way home, this like rock solid chunk of ice would melt into my pants. So by the time I got oh, off no. the bus, it was like I'd wet myself. <laughs> uh, so to them, we put waterproof fabric in there to like take that away. Yeah. Now you don't have to pee yourself if you're a bad snowboarder. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but I think that's really cool that you've really put a lot of thought into those different products and like making them a little bit different and just really user friendly. So we, we have tried to make um, everything that we do really thought through. Yeah. Um, just to, you know, give you everything you need. Yeah. That's what we try. Yeah, brilliant. What's the best thing about living and working abroad for you? I have to say the people. I'm very, I feel like there's a theme here. I'm very much a people person. Can you tell? <laughs> um, and I guess actually that's kind of one of the reasons why Brethren is called Brethren. Because uh, it was to do with, uh, we actually, we originally made hoods and we wanted to call it Brotherhood. But it was taken so we weren't allowed so uh we tried to think of other things and we actually put brotherhood into urban dictionary online and one of the words that came up was brethren and we were like oh brethren brethren brethren, maybe maybe that would work and it was to do with like uh when you move away from home and you go to like these different countries your friends become like your family they're like your boys your brethren yeah that's where the name came from so if if we had to do it all over again for those that don't know, my, my name is Ashling and it's an Irish name. So it's spelt quite differently to how it um, looks and sounds. And it's all a bit of a mess. I, I actually often tell people that my mother wanted me to have difficulty with everyone I ever met ever. But I spend an awful lot of time on the phone spelling my name and spelling brethren and spelling apparel. So if I ever have to give an email, it's A-I-S, no, no H, no L-I-N-G, at B-R-E-T-H-R-E. Yeah, it, it takes a long time because <laughs> uh, people don't know how to spell brethren. <laughs> <laughs> what advice would you give to someone who is thinking of making the move abroad? I would say do it. Yeah. Even if it's only for a little while. I think for the most part in this life, you have enough time to do lots of things and you can always go back, like if you don't like it. Yeah. But not that many people don't like it from my experience. I don't know. Yeah, just like, fuck it, why not? Like, have a go. Yeah. What's the most challenging experience you've had since living and working abroad? I'm quite fortunate in the fact that I'm not that far from home my dad was actually a little bit unwell uh, last year and you know when something like that's going on with your family you'd like to be around more um, but because I'm just a two-hour flight away it's quite easy for me to go home um, for a little while mm-hmm. and maybe that's one of the reasons why I haven't ever made it as far away as like New Zealand and Australia and Canada and these kind of places because I am quite close with my family Mm-hmm. and uh being far away 
it's a little bit daunting. Yeah. So I definitely, I'll definitely do it, but it just makes me a little bit sad to be really far away from my family. Yeah. I love them. I love you. <laughs> oh, it's completely understandable. Yeah. How's dad now? Is he right? Yeah, he's good. Yeah. Oh, okay. Thanks. <laughs> are Are there any opportunities that stand out to you that you wouldn't have had if you hadn't have first took the leap to live and work abroad? I guess maybe my experience is slightly different to like other people's because we started this business at the exact same time as moving abroad. So some of my more crazy experiences in the last few years have been related to the business, but the business probably wouldn't have been what it is if it wasn't for the moving abroad. Like yeah. if Chris hadn't traveled and then if I hadn't started snowboarding, then we definitely wouldn't still be doing this now. Um, and like we got to do things like go to Pakistan and go visit our factories and stuff like that, which was awesome. Um, that crazy different culture shock, but like amazing. What's one of the biggest challenges of having a business overseas? I don't know. I don't think it's necessarily an overseas thing. I think anything just like owning a business. I um, I tell people that um, I have the highest of highs and the lowest of lows with my business. So like when I have a good day, I have like a way better day than you'll ever have at work. Like my good day is like a good fucking day. <laughs> <laughs> but then like on the same, like on the other hand, like when I have a bad day, oh my God, do I have a bad day? Oh, <laughs> like, no. I don't get to just walk out the door at like five o'clock and it'd be over. Like it's always with you. Um, you know, we've had a few things go horrendously wrong over the years. Yeah. I don't think it's the overseas thing. I think just anyone trying to do their own thing, trying to stay motivated can be difficult. What's a bit of advice that you could give to someone who is about to embark on starting their own business? Um, again, I would say do it. Uh, yeah, do it. Yeah. I would say um keep your money in order or it will not work. Mm-hmm. If you don't know what's going on with your bank accounts and your spending and your earnings then you are destined to fail. But <laughs> <laughs> so definitely know what's going on with that 100% and keep it all organized. And then yeah, just like have a go. I think I know it doesn't really matter if you fail like every time you fail like you tried something. How cool is that? Um, you know, most people are too scared or they have these amazing ideas, but they just don't do anything about it. And I'd say, um, yeah, just do it. Why not? It, maybe yeah. it costs you a bit of money, but like, you know, I was about to say it's only money. Maybe that's not the case for everyone, but you can always earn more money. There's always yeah. a way to earn more money. Yeah. And, um, I think it's a great idea to try and do something that you love rather than, you know, it's hard. It's hard because, you know, sometimes you do have to chip away at the mundane in order to get there. Like, you know you have the jobs that you don't like so much that pay the bills and they are necessary but I'm also like dream try like give it a go it could pay off in the end yeah yeah and if it doesn't it's all right you can try again yeah exactly if it doesn't you've learned so much and you come away with way more experience and like every fate anything that seems like a failure is usually just a lesson in how to do it better so it always develops you onto your next thing yeah we actually um we had uh, a time when we first tried to move our manufacturing to turkey because we were having some problems we started in london having some problems and we went to turkey we spent all of our money at the time buying flight tickets to turkey and um we were going to see this factory that we had high hopes on what we thought it was going to be like Mm -hmm. and then we got there and it wasn't what we thought it was going to be and like the deal they were offering us was like it wasn't great and um 
we like went to these shops and they were showing us these fabrics that weren't what I wanted. And I was just having this, I was having a strop, full, full sock, like face, like a smacked ass, just like not talking to anyone, just sat there like, Rrr. and Chris was trying to make the best of the situation being like, we could use this, we could do that. And I was like, Rrr. no, yeah, blah, blah, blah. Mm-hmm. and, um, and then we like, we went and sat on this rooftop bar. We both sat there in silence, just like drinking this beer, like, oh, I fucked it. Like we spent our money coming here. And there's not even going to get anything out of it. Like, oh, this is going to be terrible. What are we going to do? Mm-hmm. And um, we were just, oh, like, what have we done kind of thing. And then the next day we were on the bus to go and, like, sign a deal that I didn't like but was the best option we had for the time. And that morning I'd been, like, frantically trying to find anything else that was, like, even slightly better. And uh, we were, had really dodgy uh, internet because the phones didn't work and stuff like then. And um, I started speaking to one guy but then we had to go to go get on to get to this meeting we were on the bus and then like the internet was gone and then we get the internet back and then get this message through and i'm like oh like this guy like he might be better like and i said to chris we have to get off the bus and he was like what like we were literally late we we're going to this meeting to sign this deal and i was like chris we have to get off the bus and so we we get off the bus oh and like we go into mcdonald's because they have free wi-fi <laughs> <laughs> and then we like we speak to this guy who just happens to be like has a factory we were in istanbul in turkey mm-hmm. and he's like i can pick you up in an hour so we we call the first factory and we delay our meeting and we're like oh we need to wait till the afternoon so this guy like sends us directions to this factory and we get there and we find it and there's just kind of like this hole in the ground like it's just like oh my god it looks a bit like whoa what on earth are we doing this is crazy and we go down the steps like which is just like a hole in the ground and then it's got this whole crazy factory like underground and um and the guy was really nice and he like could do the small runs that we needed and uh, oh, wow. we went from we went from one night being sat in a bar, drinking our beers in silence, from being like, "Oh, it's all over, in fact, it's gone." Yeah, to being like, "Oh, here we go, got a new, a new thing." Nice. So, yeah. Oh. So you have to try. Yeah. It normally works out. You can figure it out. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Oh, well done. That's awesome. What do you miss most about the UK? Oh, biscuits. <laughs> actually, Westy said crisps. Oh. <laughs> English snacks. Oh, yeah. I miss the supermarket. Oh, yeah. All of it. 24 hour Tesco's, isn't it? Oh, just, yeah, just, it's kind of doesn't make sense because English food is generally rated as like pretty terrible on the world <laughs> scale. <laughs> but uh, I miss roast dinners. Yeah. Oh, I actually was uh, texting my friend the other day and I was like, do you have roast dinner? I was like, send me a picture. <laughs> <laughs> but, yeah, I miss roast dinners and biscuits. I remember once we had a conversation in the bar about roast dinners and you showed me that you were part of a Facebook group. Oh yeah, that's that's a whole different thing. Actually, <laughs> it melted into turmoil. It got so popular. There was like, when I first joined it, there was like 2,000 people and then it went up to like 12,000 people. Shout out to everyone in Bristol who was part of the Sunday roast dinner club cult. <laughs> and um, I hope it's okay now, but I, I think the like manager, like owner of the page thing, I think he had a bit of a like mental breakdown, like live on Facebook. Oh, like, went a bit, no. went a bit nuts because people were like, "Whoa!" Because uh, if people put a bad rating about it, then like people would come and defend it, and then like it all got really, yeah, a bit mental, bit drama, a bit of drama, bit, for, bit too much drama for a roast dinner club. Yeah. Oh wow! <laughs> so you're not on that anymore? I wish, Just a few Instagram pages. I wish I was. <laughs> I loved it. It's gone. Bring it back. <laughs> If someone came up to you and asked you, I've only got enough money to go to one place, 
where would you advise them to visit? I would probably tell them they need to find a way to earn a bit more money (laughs) because there's too many places that they have to go. I don't know. Everywhere. Mm. I really mean it. Everywhere. Anywhere. (laughs) Anywhere. Leave your hometown. (laughs) Just try it. (laughs) Yeah, because you left left your hometown. Um, You went to Bristol. You went to uni. Tell us a bit about your experience in uni. Did you enjoy that? Was that something that you... You obviously did well. You got a first. I did, yes. I had a great time while I was there, like for sure. Mm-hmm. And at the time, I really thought it was the most important thing to do to have like a career. I don't know. I think obviously you can have careers loads of other ways. But at the time, I thought this was the most important avenue. I really thought like, oh, I if I wanted to go and work in fashion, like this is what I had to do. Um, and like to the point where... I I think I mentioned earlier that I didn't take a gap year or anything like that because I knew if I left formal education that I would like never go back. Um, And I really, really enjoyed my time there. But then afterwards, in hindsight, I kind of realized that it's maybe not that necessary. Um, I know obviously from my experiences there, I ended up with a business in clothing. So in that way, I probably sound really stupid. Um, But I also think the things that I learned there, maybe with a little bit of uh, more experience and like self-reflection, like if I just actually gone traveling and like done some design courses that were a few like months at a time, like if I just done a pattern cutting course and yeah, it's hard to say. Maybe I would never have realized that I want to work in sports clothing without being there. Mm -hmm. Um, But then also by the time I started going away when I was like 22, 23, kind of looked around at all these people who were like 17 18 and I was like oh my god I wish I'd done this then yeah I wish I'd just gone straight away um so I think going to university for lots of careers is obviously important but maybe taking a little bit of time for yourself first to check that it's definitely what you want to do could be smart because mm-hmm. um lots of people think that they really know what they want to do when they're 18 and maybe it doesn't end up being what they want to do after like yeah. a few years so yeah i think it's good to go and get some go and get some work experience in the, the area that you think you want to work and if you go and do like a few months work for someone and you still really want to do it maybe then that's when you should go to university rather than just jumping straight in yeah um i don't know if that's the best advice for everyone <laughs> but it's something that maybe would have been a good idea for me if I'd gone yeah. to work for someone in fashion Well, that was going to be my um, next question is, with the knowledge you know today, what would you go back and tell your younger self? Don't worry too much. Everything's probably going to be fine. Yeah, just, yeah, have a go. Don't worry about it so much. Even if it's not all right, you can probably figure it out. Yeah, (laughs) for sure. Yeah, we tend to stress the small things a little bit too much. Yeah. uh, And a lot of the time it can stop us from doing certain things. So, yeah, it's a good piece of advice. What's the best piece of advice you've ever been given? I think I've probably been given loads of great advice and also like loads of terrible advice. <laughs> <laughs> um, but my my dad likes to give us lots of advice. Some of it we disregard immediately and tell him he's bananas. <laughs> and some of it is, oh, yeah, that's quite good. And um, one that he's always kind of said, which I definitely say to people and he'll be so upset because I slaughter it I say it wrong every time and he's like that's not how it goes <laughs> but um he always said to us like uh I think the phrase is something like 
uh, when's the best time to plant a tree 30 years ago? When's the second best time to plant a tree like now, today? Yeah. So like, yeah, maybe you should have, would have, could have done all those things 10 years ago. Maybe you didn't. So, um, you know, don't wait another day. Do it now. I love that. Yeah. Yeah. I think I'm so sorry, Dad. I can't remember how it goes. <laughs> What's your dad's name? Dave. Shout out to Dave. Dave, yeah. He's got a t shirt on it that says, Everybody needs a Dave. And I think it's true. <laughs> <laughs> we talked a little bit about mentors on the first podcast with Lauren. Uh, that was a bit of advice that she gave in episode one with Lauren Lamari. Did you have any mentors going along your in your journey? Um, I did actually have a mentor for a little while. Oh, okay. Um, I didn't speak to him a huge amount, but some of the advice he gave me was actually really, really great. And the way I met him is actually really funny. Mm-hmm. So when I was at university, we were quite lucky because rather than writing a dissertation, we had the option to make a business plan instead if you wanted to you you could submit a business plan and because we'd started trying to make brethren i wrote a business plan as part of this like business plan kind of alternative route they had these like meetings once every two months or so in like the weather spoons on the corner of the university street people were there who could like assist you with applying for loans and like getting business advice and mentors and stuff like this for your business idea so Mm -hmm. if you wanted to it didn't have to just be an idea you could try and follow it up if you wanted to they gave you the steps to put it in motion I heard about these courses or these like meetings and I thought oh yeah maybe there would be someone there who would be like good to talk to about getting some funding because we needed money we had no money to do anything right it was I think I remember it was on a Tuesday and um (laughs) and I was at home and I was really tired and I like I could not be bothered to go but they had free dinner. So <laughs> if you went to the Weatherspoons, you got free dinner with the meeting. Wow. And I couldn't be bothered to cook. So I thought, okay, I'm going to go and get myself some like some free dinner and see if anyone there is useful to talk to. So I went there, had my free dinner. And then someone told me that there was like a guy in the corner of the room. His name was uh, was Paul. And um, he was actually the founder of Route One which is like a chain of skate shops in the UK. Oh, wow. And I was like, well, I didn't think there'd be anyone useful for me to talk to here. But like this guy worked in my industry and started this like chain of shops and he'd actually be really cool to talk to. So I waited to talk to him all night. Everyone was like hanging around him. I couldn't get anywhere near. I waited and waited and waited. And when he was nearly about to leave, I like grabbed him and I was like, no, I've been waiting to talk to you all night. I said, I heard like you're the founder of Route One. And I had one of our like prototype samples of like the hat with me. And I said, oh, if I could just get a picture of you wearing this, like, for our Instagram page, like, that would be really cool. And then he, like, put it on and he was like, and you made this and you're trying to start, like, a snowboarding brand and stuff like this. And I was like, yeah, yeah. I was like, we've already started. We're doing this. We're doing that. We need money. We need this. And he was like, oh, I, do you like, I can be your mentor. And I was oh, like, wow. oh, wow. Like, that would be amazing. That would, that would be really cool. And didn't actually meet up with him a huge amount of times, but we chatted a few times, emailed a few times. And he actually ended up introducing us to a man who introduced us to another man who ended up being our first manufacturer in the UK. Oh, wow. So if I hadn't been too lazy to cook dinner, <laughs> I I would never have met the man who introduced me to the man who became our 
first manufacturer in England. Yeah, that's fantastic. Yeah, our, our university were actually um like really forward thinking in ways like that. Like I said, UE, University of the West of England in Bristol, fantastic yeah. time. <laughs> <laughs> um, they they had another competition for people who had these business ideas, mm-hmm. and uh, it was like a Santander dragon's den pitching event kind of right, thing okay it was like a 10 minute presentation you could come and watch this 10 minute presentation for everyone and sit in the room all day or you could turn up just for your meeting mm-hmm. like your meeting slot and we thought i think the price was like up to five grand so we were like oh that would pay for our first manufacturing right let's try and apply for that and we thought listening to everyone else's plans all day would like freak us out so we were like let's just turn up for our one we turn up 10 minutes before our time slot and we thought you know we still want to be us we still want to we don't want to pretend to be something we're not. Yeah. And so we kind of turned up in like nice, but like casual clothes. Mm-hmm. And it was in this like glass box in the university. And like <laughs> there was just rows and rows of people in suits. And we turned up and we looked in the window and we thought, oh my God, what are we doing here? Like, oh, they're going to laugh at us. It's going to be awful. We're just pacing around outside really stressed. Like, oh, well, we've oh, got no. our time slot now. I guess like, I guess we have to do this. So we went into the room and the guy giving the presentation in front of us is so boring. <laughs> We instantly changed our mind and we were like, oh, this is fine. We've got this. We can like, <laughs> we can just go up there and like do our thing. And we went up there and like gave our chat and all these people had these ideas of stuff they wanted to maybe do. And we went up and said, we've already done this. We've registered the business. We've done trademark the name, blah, 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 blah. So then, yeah, that was it. But we didn't know what anyone else had done. So then we had to wait like for them to read the results and stuff. So at the end of the day, and as I said, I have quite a difficult name. So we were very lucky and uh, we won the competition. Oh, wow. That's so cool. But when they announced the winners, <laughs> they said the winners are like, so they said something like Aisha Ling something and Chris. And so I didn't realize it was my name. So I sat there politely clapping like, oh, that's disappointing, but at least we tried. And Chris is kind of jumping next to me going like, yeah, we won. And I'm politely clapping going, what? <laughs> oh, we, we won! <laughs> so yeah, so then um, yeah, we we didn't get all the money, but I think we got like two and a half grand, and that paid for our first manufacturing with the man who we met through the dinner thing. Oh, that's so cool! What an awesome story! Yeah, it's good. Eh? Yeah, well done, <laughs> well done, you guys. Yeah, there was a girl there who was like quite ahead with the ideas of making like cake pops you know like those tiny cakes on sticks oh yeah everyone laughed at her oh really <laughs> now they're everywhere <laughs> <laughs> oh wow yeah. yeah your university sounds awesome actually yeah it was good yeah yeah they were very supportive apart from the fact on the very first day when i turned up i walked in yeah. and they said um oh the the course that you applied for doesn't exist anymore and i said all oh, right what am i doing instead <laughs> so it was still a fashion course, but it was not the one I applied for. They'd put me into like a different one, but didn't tell us. And we were just already there, already committed. Like, oh, I guess that's what we're doing now. <laughs> but it turned out all right in the end. Yeah, actually, the course that I'd applied for would not have been right for me. And the one that I ended up on was perfect. Amazing. So thanks. <laughs> I suppose that's a lesson as well. It's like, don't panic. Go if with things, blow. yeah, go, if you that, can. That comes up a lot <laughs> in the podcast. That comes up quite a few times where it's just like people say, "Just go with the flow." Yeah, yeah. but also like not too much. My mum has a plaque in our kitchen that says, uh, "Only dead fish go with the flow." So have a bit of backbone as well. <laughs> One of the pieces of advice that we were given from Paul, the guy who uh, was mentoring us for a little while, was uh, not ever to make anything 
just for the sake of making it just because other people were like have a reason why people want it have like a unique selling point that's what it's mm-hmm. called um like why is it better why should they get yours rather than someone else's and we've tried to always take that through with all of our products and we like we still say it today whenever we like th- if there's like some trend that people are buying a lot of and we think oh maybe we should get a few of those just like just a few just to sell because people like them and we we try and catch ourselves and be like no you know we really pride ourselves on the fact that we've never like um just bought and sold blanks like that you can buy from anywhere mm-hmm. like everything like for example our t-shirts um have been hand measured and cut and tested and tried and reshaped and we've like tried out different fabrics and we've always tried to make something that's better or like something there's a reason why you should buy it rather than someone else's so like our hoodies have like loads of features on even like our beanies we you know they're something that's like they're quite a like standard product but we've tried to find ones that are like really good quality that like don't lose their shape really fast Mm -hmm. and uh, don't go too bobbly all these things um and so yeah that was the piece of advice from paul that has definitely stayed with us yeah so thanks paul brilliant We've worked really hard to get where we are, but I'm also very aware that like we had some really good luck along the way. <laughs> like we were in the right place at the right time. You know, we worked hard to be there, but we still got like, you know, I was hungry. I went to a Weatherspoons. <laughs> you know. <laughs> Throughout your seasons, can you tell us a memorable or unlikely story? Well, yeah, I I have lots of things that are like crazy and interesting experiences. But I found that they're not so much related from just being abroad. They've all happened to me while I'm abroad, but that's because I've been abroad for like the last like however many years. But um, I think the best things that happen to me are when I'm like being a yes man. So like in the circumstances where everyone else would say no and I've said yes, that's when I've had like some really wild times. One example was um, I applied to go work on a workaway boat Okay. Um, just for like two weeks in Croatia with a guy and like he had this thing online it seemed like a bit too good to be true it was like come and learn how to sail a yacht for free for two weeks like you know island hopping around Croatia in my boat with me and like, in exchange for like cooking and cleaning and stuff while you're here and I was like oh, I could do that so um I wrote them this message being like why it was I had to come and I really wanted to be there and blah blah blah, blah. and you know told him like uh I think he said like he was like self-made and stuff. And I was like, I've got my own business, blah, blah, blah. I just tried to be really impressive in my message. And then he said, well, I'm actually fully booked for the whole summer. Unless you can come right now. You can come for these next two weeks. And I said, okay, cool. Okay, I'm coming. So wow. um, for, that was from Innsbruck. And I got on a 17-hour bus down to Croatia where I went to go meet him in a bar. And um, <laughs> I rang my mum from the bus and said, so I'm doing a thing. Uh, I said, I'm going to Croatia to meet a stranger who uh, just sailed off into the ocean with him. And she was like, all right. And um, what's this man expecting from you for two weeks for free on his boat? And I said, I'm going to go try and figure that out in the bar. <laughs> I said, if I get any kind of weird vibes from him, I was like, I won't get on the boat. But I met, met him and he was like super nice, really cool guy. I went island hopping around Croatia for two weeks with this like millionaire on his boat. And wow. people say to me like, oh, why do these things happen to you? And I say, because... I said yes to getting on a 17-hour bus to go and meet a stranger to <laughs> sail off into the sunset. Most people in that circumstance, I think, would say no. Yeah. So I would say, um, <laughs> go back to what I said earlier. Give it a go. Yeah, cool. I decided at the time, like, if it all didn't work out, there was loads of um, 
there was loads of other schools, uh, like diving schools around right. there. I could just go and try and volunteer for them for two weeks while I was there. Mm-hmm. But um, if you don't know about it, Workaway is a really cool website. It's I think it's like £29 or £30 or something for your membership for the whole year. And it's loads of work experience in loads of different places. So you can go to like surf camps and yoga places. You can go and work on like farms and you basically work there for free for a few hours a day, like maybe four or five hours a day. And then you get to spend your afternoons doing like your own activities and you get like your food and your accommodation paid for. So a friend of mine, he spent two months kind of traveling around different workaways, learning about running hostels and like sustainable farming and stuff like that. Mm-hmm. And then he opened his own place in Hossegor, running a surf camp that was trying to be like as eco-friendly as possible and like kind of sustained wow. within itself. And he spent a few months learning about it and then he went and opened one. And there's there's That's so awesome. there's so many on there um, that you can apply for. My friend traveled all the way through Nepal just staying in workaways. So if you're looking to go and try some new things and learn some stuff along the way, I think it's well worth the year membership. My mum takes workaways, actually. Ah. And uh, she's actually told me about a lady who has quite a cool story from being a workaway. And hopefully she has agreed to come on the podcast. Ah, so, so hopefully someone we'll else get, can tell you about workaway. Yeah, <laughs> hopefully we will get a bit of insider information on that um, from her as well. So yeah, thanks for that. I can vouch for it. I back her up. <laughs> Do you have any books, publications, movies, anything like that that have motivated you in your journey? Um, again, I'd say it's not it's not just from one place. It comes from so many different aspects of what you do. But um, another one of my dad's quotes that he used to tell us when we were kids, you'll be the same person in 10 years as you are today, apart from the books that you read and the people you meet. And I think they are the things that shape your life the most. So even maybe these days it doesn't necessarily mean books, it just means read. But um, I would definitely tell people to read. <laughs> <laughs> and so, yeah, I don't think it's one source of information that's led me where I am. But all of them. Read more. <laughs> <laughs> Is there one book that you can recommend? Well, my dad always told me to read Rich Dad, Poor Dad when I was a teenager and I always kind of scoffed at him and was like, oh, leave me alone, I'll read whatever I want, reading my <laughs> crime romance dramas. <laughs> um, but I actually read it recently, and I wish I'd read it when I was 18. Oh, really? <laughs> Very much so. And it's actually quite interesting, the guy who I mentioned that um, went island hopping around Croatia with, he actually told me that when he was like 27, 28, he was working in like a dead-end job, minimum wage, was super miserable. All his friends were like going on and like buying houses and like going on with their life. And he felt like nothing was uh, like going that way for him. And then he was driving in his car one day and he heard a quote from a book and he was like, was really inspired by it. So he went and bought the book and read the book. And within one year, he had taught himself to code and like wow. just in his spare time after work. And then he had wrote Ireland's first dating website and was a millionaire. Oh, wow. Yeah. And that book was Rich Dad, Poor Dad. Really? Yeah. So uh, it's about keeping on top of your money and making your money work for you. It doesn't sound very exciting, but um, 
it's really exciting when you're 30 and you don't have to work anymore. So <laughs> it's not something that happened to me. I wish I'd read it when I was 18. <laughs> it's actually on my reading list now. Oh. And I'm getting all of it. So <laughs> I have it. Better to do I it today, it. though, than not at all. Literally. There you go, Gina. <laughs> She's adopted my quotes. <laughs> my dad would be proud. If you hadn't taken the chance to go abroad for your first winter season, what do you think you would be doing now? Um, I probably would have moved to London, I think. And who knows? Hopefully something even more exciting than this. I actually, I always wanted to run away and join the circus. That was one of the reasons I went into like fashion design in the first place. Oh, really? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I was laughing at my dreams. <laughs> I was just like, why? Because they have like a catwalk in the circus. Or like, what? what was that no, about? Because the circus is cool, man. Yeah. Like, just costume design. Mm, no, because this is the thing. I could have done costume design at yeah. university, but I had heard that if you do costume design, it's hard to move into fashion. But if you've done fashion, it's easier to move into costume design. I don't know if that's true or not. I just heard it. And <laughs> yeah, I um, I saw the Cirque du Soleil when I was really little, when I was like 10. Wow. And it blew my brains out. It still blows my brains out every time I see it. Whenever it comes to town, I always buy a ticket. It's pricey, but it's worth every penny. Yeah, just the stuff those people do is like absolutely crazy. And I was like, I can't do that. Like, I know that's not within <laughs> me, within my abilities, but I could make the clothes that oh, they're, yeah. they're doing it in. So that was, I guess, not a real proper plan because I never put any kind of steps in place to start doing it. Mm -hmm. But I think if I had been in England and I hadn't moved away, it probably would have crept back into my desires because... Yeah, always fancied a bit the circus. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I have to ask you this question because it's my mum's favourite question. And it is, is there one thing you take with you everywhere you travel? Oh, there is. It's something that everyone thinks I should be horrendously ashamed about. But I'm I'm so in love that it's, it's not a problem for me. And <laughs> I have a really old, gross pillow that uh, it's like, it was an old beanbag pillow. But all the beans are kind of squished flat. And so it's actually like flat like a pancake now. Huh. And I have it in a pillowcase. So when you hold it by the end, it all drops to the bottom. And everyone says it looks like a ball sack because it's pink. <laughs> and I take this pillow with me everywhere. Like, I mean everywhere. Right. If you're like, my new boyfriend, like, sorry, I love my pillow more than I'll ever love you. And like, I will, I will take things out of a suitcase for a holiday to fit the pillow in yeah everyone says it's disgusting and it <laughs> needs to get burnt but um i think it's the one true love of my life <laughs> <laughs> well at least you're honest about it you know <laughs> yeah i also like to take the pillow and then like when other people are like, oh that's gross what is that and be like try it try it and like <laughs> drape it all over their face and they're like get it off me get it off me and i'm like you're wrong like <laughs> Admit it. Admit that you like it. Most people pretend they don't like it, but they do. <laughs> um, do you have any travel hacks? Roll your clothes in your suitcase. It's a real thing. You can fit in like twice as much. <laughs> yeah. So it took a while for me to get you on the podcast. Why was that? What took you so long to come around oh, to the yeah. idea? So Gina was asking me for all of season one and I was like, yeah, 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 nah, 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 I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> and I wasn't really sure why I was saying no either at the time. Um, but then I realised that 
it was in the middle of like the whole Brexit times pandemic meltdown. And at the time I had, I had honestly nothing positive to say about my business. Mm-hmm. And um, I was not enjoying work. And I knew very much that I have a job. I'm lucky to have a job that uh, so many people would love to have. Mm-hmm. Um, and despite it being hard sometimes, it is what some people would really truly love to do. I didn't want to come on and be miserable about something that was um, something that's a lot of people's goals. So I had to wait until I enjoyed my job again. And we have some new projects and stuff that's going at the moment, which means I'm now really enjoying it again. Yeah, I didn't want to come on and be a negative Nancy and be like, don't do this, don't do that, it's all <laughs> terrible. Because it's not. I have a, I'm have very fortunate to be able to work on my own schedule, like whenever I want, stuff like this. Yeah. Yeah, I came back around. Like I said, I was just in one of those... Uh, lying face down on the kitchen floor, periods. <laughs> so yesterday I put a story on the podcast Instagram asking people if they had any questions for you. And a couple of people did come back with a couple of questions. So I'm going to read those out to you now. Oh. So first of all, we've got a question from Teresa Cullen. Teresa was on one of the episodes of the podcast. Can't think of which one off the top of my head. I think it was six. six. I think it might have been six. Something something like that. Anyway, she has asked, what was the most embarrassing moment of all your seasons? (laughs) I don't know if I can incriminate myself on the internet like that. (laughs) (laughs) Um, Oh, I don't know. It's like... I think um, most people who know me would say that um, I do really embarrassing things all the time, but it seems to not really affect me. So I do things that other people would like, if that was me, I would be mortified. And I'm like, well, this is just my life. So (laughs) I don't think I can pick one particular moment, but I've never like publicly shit myself. So I guess that's, (laughs) I guess (laughs) I guess that's a win. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> that's a great answer um danny dornan has said do you think you've found a home in meyerhofen and can you stay please <laughs> i was about to say she's only asked this because she's terrified that i'm going to leave her <laughs> um i'm certainly my home for now yeah. i'll give you that much this is the person who rang me in the first place and said when are you coming back to austria come back already we miss you yeah. so She's probably one of the main reasons I came back because she called me and told me to come back. Wherever I go, I won't be too far away. So what's next for Brethren Apparel? So because we weren't able to do it quite so fluidly last year, we are just launching all of our new outerwear line. Mm-hmm. So we had like a year of like testing bits out and now we've got like loads more finely tuned items. They're all really brightly coloured and we're excited about. Where can people find Brethren Apparel? I would say it's really easy. Just put Brethren Apparel into Google uh, and you'll find us. But in order to do that, you need to put in (laughs) B-R-E-T-H-R-E-N. If you put in Thug Rugs or, yeah, Brethren into Google, you'll find us very easily. You've got your own website. Yeah, we have all the socials and all those things, all our own website. So... Everything is online. Go now. <laughs> it's all it's all there. Go and buy everything. Yeah, and we'll link to those in the show notes and uh, through the website and things like that. Cool. Come check us out. Leave us a note on the Contact Us page. Say hello. We love it when people email us. Final question. Is there anyone you would like to nominate to come on the show? It could be quite cool to talk to uh, Theo Ackworth. 
he moved to Innsbruck, I believe, and started doing seasons after he went to university. And he is a photographer who I don't know if you've had a photographer on here yet. No. For skiing and snowboarding. And maybe a bit less of a seasonaire because I don't think he moved around so much. But he has worked his way up to being the editor of uh, Method magazine. Oh, cool. um, which I'm sure people would be interested to hear about. And my friend Ali would probably be quite good to talk to. She's been working on the super yachts this summer, a bit like uh, Lauren, who you had in before. But she works doing social media for different brands while she lives between France and Bali. So mm-hmm. she snowboards in the winter and surfs in the summer. I'm sure she would be very interesting to talk to. And she's very bubbly and funny as well. Um <laughs> Awesome. Thank you. They sound like really interesting people and hopefully I can get in touch with them or you can put me in touch with them and we can get them on the show and have a chat. Sounds good. Um, But Ashlyn, thank you so much for coming on the show today. It's been an absolute pleasure and uh, I hope you'll come back again at some point in the future and tell us what you've been up to in the meantime. Yes, I've had a very nice time. All my my fears and qualms from before, (laughs) um, I'm glad that I didn't listen to them and took my own good advice and just went and did it anyway. Yeah. Thank you very much, and uh, yeah, catch you soon. No worries. Big up, Ashlyn Kite. Thank you so much, Ashlyn, for finally agreeing to come on the show. If you're looking to update your shredware this winter, we've put a link to Brethren Apparel's website in the show notes so you don't even have to spell it. Don't forget to give us a follow on Facebook and Instagram, and remember to hit the subscribe button on your podcast player to get all new releases of the show as they come out. Once again, a big thank you to Mike at Mike Sports Bar for the studio space. Thank you to Mondo Wave for the music. And thanks to you guys for tuning in. See you all again next time. Yeah, yeah, ding dong. My love for you is growing white and long. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Ding dong. Oh, that was beautiful. Thank you. <laughs> <laughs>